It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, Sleepy J underscore pregame. Joined here by the entire team today, almost. I got Dan Rivera, I got Uncle Dave, and I got Tommy the Hitman. You guys can find those guys on Twitter at Dave underscore Essler, at Dan Rivera 228, and at pregame Hitman. I also have couple new things for you guys this year now with this podcast in particular we're going to go ahead we're going to do a division by division nfl preview so this is our first legit podcast for 2020 nfl season first division we're going to start out with is the afc east so we had to have uncle dave on here to go talk about his patriots the hitman he's had this love affair with the jets over the last couple months he's certainly not in favor of the jets so i'm sure we'll hear that dan you got the uh Miami Dolphins, and I got the Buffalo Bills. But I wanted to add a few things for you guys this upcoming season that I thought would be rather valuable. Now, we have a guy in Vegas. His name's Jay Smooth. He's going to be on our podcast. He's been doing a lot of work in the pregame.com forums, and he reached out to me. I reached out to him, and we've been talking. And I see the level of his handicapping and where it's at, and I thought that he would be able to go ahead and provide some value. Now, there are some things that he does really, really well, and you guys will be able to go ahead and feel that and understand, you know, where he's coming from, you know, from a betting perspective. Also, what I wanted to do is I, I had to reach out to a doctor, a guy who digs into NFL injuries. And to a certain extent, I think one of the problems with a lot of the sports betting podcasts, you get people who will say such and such got an ankle injury. You know, I think he's going to be 80 percent. But the, what this guy does and his name's Dr. Edwin Porras. And he actually goes through and he looks at the particular injuries. Now, he does a fantasy football podcast, so it's very important to him that he gets these players right, not to mention the profession that he's in. It's a big interest to him. So he's reading up on each and every player, finding out what their injury is, what their diagnosis is, and he's trying to grade, you know, the questionable and probable to a percentage of how he feels the player will do, you know, and if these guys are out, he's going to go ahead and he's going to tell you, you know, the, the length of time that they'll be out, you know, what the rehab timing might be. And I think that we're going to be able to go ahead and get some solid information from him on this podcast. So before we get into the teams, I went ahead, I talked with the doc for a little while. I asked him some basic questions about injuries in the NFL. You guys will be able to go ahead and, and be introduced to him. And he'll be on our podcast each and every week, the same as Bernie. Bernie will be back. I got some stuff from Bernie. McKenzie will be back. So we'll all be here for you guys for this upcoming NFL season. All right, guys. So as I had mentioned, I'm going to add a few new things to our podcast this year and, and all to you know the listeners benefit. One of the things that drives me crazy and out of my mind are injuries to players. And we, we don't have a whole lot of clarification on guys. And, and a lot of times, you know, we're simply just going ahead and we're guessing at, you know, how healthy a guy is or, or what his particular injury is and how that might actually, you know, hobble him or how long it may keep him sidelined for. So what I did, I had reached out to Dr. Edwin Porras. He's a doctor of physical therapy from fantasypoints.com. I wanted him to come on and kind of talk to us, you know, throughout all the injuries that we're going to have throughout the year. You know, there are multiple players that have real big question marks around them, you know, guys like Tua, Big Ben, Todd Gurley. So I want to have him clear that up. If you guys haven't found him yet, you should find him on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. And if you haven't found him on Twitter or in the podcast lane, you guys can go ahead and search for him at fantasypoints.com or Injury Prone Fantasy Podcast. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits that we may get 
on this podcast is that Edwin, he, he goes through and he does a lot of fantasy football work. So he understands not only fantasy football, but he understands each player and, and the things that they're going to have to deal with when it comes to their specific injury. And obviously, you know, being in the physical therapy field, you know, and, and doing all that type of stuff, he's going to be able to probably give us, you know, a good timetable and how long a player might be injured. So that's something that, that we're definitely going to end up finding beneficial, I think, for our podcast. Now, Edwin, it is a big pleasure to have you on the podcast. And hopefully, you know, throughout the year, we'll be able to have you on when, when you know, even some of the minimal injuries, but certainly when some of the big injuries come up, uh, we're certainly going to want to have you come on. But I want your voice, obviously, to be heard. And I, I kind of want to give you like a brief minute or two to kind of tell us, you know, what you do over at the Fantasy Football Podcast that you do and all the work that you've been doing throughout the years. Because once I found you, I'm like, dude, we got to get this guy on. So I, I have a few questions for you before we get into specific players. But why don't you go ahead and let us know exactly, you know, what you've been doing out there as far as your fantasy football podcast. I really appreciate you in that nice introduction. That was really nice of you. It means a lot that you'd ask. I mean, I'm always willing and down to come on to new podcasts, talk shop. I feel like what I do is a little underrepresented. There are a lot of really great PTs out there that do. Okay. I wouldn't say a lot, but there are a few PTs out there who do what I do. And what I do on my podcast, the injury prone fantasy football podcast is I try to use it as a platform that exists mostly for injuries. Uh, I talk about injury rates, recurrence rates, um, individual players during the season. will talk about sort of a roundup of all the injuries going on. We'll also start to talk about I'd like to debunk myths, you know, certain myths that are propagated when it comes to injuries in the NFL and how it affects fantasy betting, how it affects, uh, sorry, sports betting and fantasy football. So that's what I do on the on the podcast over at fantasypoints.com. All my written content you'll find there. They are full length texts, breakdowns, interpretation of scientific studies done on NFL players and sort of retrospective analyses is what they're called, where they basically look back at all the history of injuries. They look at what the demographic was of the of, were of the players, how long it took them to get back, what the complications were, et cetera, et cetera. And then it gives average timetables. And I try to interpret those and put them into plain language for people to understand. So I'm super excited to be on your pod, Sleepy. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm ready to talk some football, man. I think that it's... Um, I think it's just around the corner and I'm super excited for it. Uh, I don't think I know it is. So I'm, I'm excited. Now, obviously, there's going to be, you know, questions each and every week surrounding a bunch of players. But one of the things I heard on one of your podcasts recently is that you talked about like a percentage of injuries that we see, you know, within a given week, within a given year. And then you had a large sample size where it was like, you know, there was a very large percentage of players or games that, that actually, you know, get injured each and every week. And with fantasy football, you know, there's there's no bigger thing than probably injuries that can, you know, immediately just, you know, ruin your entire week or ruin your entire year. When if you're thinking a guy might play and then, you know, he turns out that, you know, maybe he's scratched late or something like that. Like, you know, we're all afraid of that that type of scenario. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the percentage of injuries the way that you did on your podcast a few weeks ago? So the thing about injuries is that and it leans into my greater injury prone is a lie type thing that I'm sort of lean, that I've leaned into at this point. Basically, there was a massive study. Um, and this was a, this wasn't just like me in my mom's basement looking up these numbers, right? This was me uh, reading. This isn't me, actually. This is this is a complete different set of authors um, that do did an actual formal NFL study on NFL players. And what they did is they looked at all of the injuries and concussions in the National Football League from 2012 to 2014. So you're looking at a sample of four years. What they found was a lot of different things, but but one of the primary takeaways is that only 2.3% of games went without an injury in the NFL. 
So once you adjust for the people who, uh, you know, don't report their injuries, that probably gets a, a lot lower. It's honestly closer to zero than we like to believe. So coming, bringing it back around to why is that important is because injury prone is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. But in reality, the anomaly is to stay healthy. The anomaly is not to have an injury. The anomaly isn't to get injured every week or have an injury every other week, right? It's a contact sport. These are extremely elite athletes. They are flying around on a football field. And unless you're the quarterback or, you know, the honestly, unless you're the quarterback, everybody's job is to chop each other's heads off, right? And once you when you get that combination, you're going to have injuries. And so only 2.3% of games are ever actually injury free. And it's probably lower than that. Now, I do have a question. This is one that that absolutely drives me crazy. And I'm sure it probably drives you crazy. And it comes around the probable and the questionable tag. Now, handicappers will go on a podcast and they'll say uh, such and such, you know, has an ankle injury. I expect them to be, you know, 90%. Well, you know, we're, we're not the doctor. We don't exactly know. We haven't read the actual medical reports. But I think somebody like you who is actually digging into the actual injury, you're doing all the reading that you can and all of the, you know, all the homework that you can on specific guys and you understand injuries. So I think at least on this podcast and your podcast as well, people are going to get a, a, a much better percentage of, you know, what a guy's actually going to look like, you know, how is he going to play? And I think we can actually accomplish that here. You know, I'm just guessing that and it drives me crazy. So I know it probably drives you out of your mind. When you hear the questionable tag or the probable tag, does that drive you out of your mind? And then could you kind of break down the difference between a questionable and probable? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And it's funny that you mentioned that, right? So when it comes to the injury report, you really have to be careful to what you're listening to. I, I tweeted out earlier this summer about some summer injury report rates in terms of when, for example, a, a coach like Bill Belichick, when he puts a player on an injury report, what that means versus, you know, when somebody else, Pete Carroll, puts somebody on an injury report. And what you really find, you start to find is that every coach uses the injury report so differently. Some view it as an advantage. Others view it as not anything to be taken advantage of. Um, and so they don't use it very often. And so it's just one of those things that you really have to take with a grain of salt. You have to watch the practice reports. I believe those tell you a lot more than than anything else, honestly. I like the way that you frame that where you mentioned that, you know, some coaches use it differently. And obviously some of them are going to probably use it honestly. And then some of them are going to use it to their advantage. And some of them are probably going to use it. So it doesn't end up being, you know, some type of a, a PR nightmare. So I could understand that. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that that's something that that I actually haven't thought of. That That's certainly something that, that, that interests me. I think that you also have to view it in light of, so people like to think that just because these athletes are already in the spotlight, that HIPAA laws don't apply to them, right? Privacy laws. <laughs> and they do. Uh, basically, what you need to know about privacy laws is that anytime that you go to the dentist or you go to your doctor's appointment or you have any type of surgery, whatever the case may be, you're protected in the United States by what's called the Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act. And what that does is protect you and healthcare providers from sharing any of your private information, your phone number, your name, your case, what's going on with you, personal information that, that's protected. It, it prevents them from sharing it unless it's absolutely necessary. Just because these athletes are on a pedestal in terms of being in the spotlight, 
does not mean that they don't have a 401k there that, that they don't have insurance that they don't have things that are covered for them and so when coaches are in a privileged position of having that information the injury report is one thing they have to report to the nfl like you said sort of for accountability reasons but when it comes to discussing details a lot of coaches are intentionally sort of mum um, and they lean into the fact that they know that, you know, their excuse will, would probably be like, like Bill Belichick. If you had him behind closed doors, it was just you and him. His excuse would probably be like, well, you know, insurance laws can't tell you that's, that's protected information. Other coaches understand that their relationship with the media is important. And they'll say, Hey, listen, guys, you know, I can't talk about that because it's protected information. Basically what it comes back down to when, when coaches talk, if you, if you haven't noticed a lot of times they're not reporting an ACL or an Achilles, a lot of times they're confirming when somebody asks. And that has a lot to do with the fact that coaches, when it's a major injury like that, already know pretty quickly after it happens, after the trainers and the, and the team doc talks to them, like, hey, this was probably an ACL, or especially for an ACL, because our, our tests, our special tests to clear the ACL are pretty good. Um, the MRI generally just confirms it. And so they already know by the time they get to the locker room a lot of times, and then they're just confirming to to the media. So it's in other words, that's all a long way to say a long winded way of saying you can look at the injury report, but you absolutely have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to have as much context as possible, which is what I try to provide what I've tried to provide for the last year and what I want to provide uh, on the injury prone fantasy football podcast and at fantasypoints.com. Well, I certainly appreciate all that information. Now, you guys, we're going to have to cut uh, Dr. Ed short here with his introduction, but it was a uh... It was certainly nice to have him on here. Now, you guys are actually going to hear him throughout probably like the next eight podcasts that we have when we do our division stuff. But you guys are going to hear from him uh, more than likely probably, you know, every week if I can get him on or when something big pops up for sure. But you guys are going to hear him on this podcast because we have two players that we certainly want to talk about when we get into the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. Guys, I want to jump into the AFC East. Interesting stories coming out of that division this year. Obviously, the Patriots, a lot of guys are going to be sitting out. Tom Brady ships out of town. You got the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Stephon Diggs goes there. You have the Miami Dolphins. Tua will be uh, probably taking snaps at some point. And you have the Jets who, you know, just continue to be a, a train wreck. So we have a lot to talk about. I, w- I do want to talk about the Patriots first. And I want to get Uncle Dave's take because he's a Patriots fan. And what we're going to do is we're going to take it from a season win total perspective. Now, right now at most of the shops, you can get the New England Patriots right around eight and a half, depending on what books you guys shop at. But we're going to sit back. We're going to listen to Uncle Dave tell us what he thinks about his New England Patriots this upcoming 2020 season. Yeah, well, guys, there's plenty of obvious things, media attention to the offense and and Cam Newton. But I worry about their defense. We know Hightower's sitting out. Jamie Collins signed with the Lions. The former coach, Matt Patricia, as did Danny Shelton, a defensive tackle who played in all 16 games last year. Van Noy signed with another former coach, Brian Flores, division rival Miami, as did Landon Roberts. They got an all-world defensive backfield, above-average linebackers, but a defensive line of Lawrence Guy, Bo Allen, and Adam Butler is just not going to be a strength of this team. So without their replaceable leadership of Hightower, they could struggle. And yes, I know last year's defense had some impressive numbers, but against an unimpressive schedule. I look at the offense. Ted Karras, a starting guard who played 60 games the last four years, he's with the Dolphins. Lost another guy, Nate Ebner, who could do a little of everything to another former coach, Joe Judge, and the Giants. I keep hearing about Nikhil Harry's development, and although I'm not from Missouri, it's still show me because he hasn't done it yet. I do like the Demir Bird pickup. But again, without a preseason, it might take a while 
for that offense to all get on the same page, especially given that the tight end position is always a high priority for the Patriots, and their depth chart lists two rookies as co-starters. So where does that leave us? Well, with all the turnover and no preseason, I don't care about all the talk out of camp about how Cam Newton set an example. You know, even the schedule scares me. The first three weeks, they fly coast to coast, then back out to Kansas City. Later in the season, they got back-to-back games in Los Angeles against the Chargers and the Rams in a four-day span. You know, I think their win total over the nine, which might have been an overreaction to losing Brady. But with the Newton signing, it did tick back up to nine and a half. We know the Bills are solid and could improve. I know Miami will be competitive. And Hitman's Jets, as bad as they are, they give the Patriots trouble when you least expect it. They got road games at Seattle, Kansas City, the two in L.A. I mentioned. Add in home games with Baltimore and San Francisco. I think getting to double-digit wins is a stretch for this team. And, And I've got an early big boy bet on one game. Their home game to Denver in between the game at Kansas City and home to the 49ers. I'm on Denver with the points we might not need. I think the Patriots' home field advantage is going to be nil without fans. And I think that is nil, like it might even go into the minus column without fans in that stadium. So I don't think the Patriots get their win total. And there's some real opportunities throughout that schedule to where we can take some real advantage if things continue like they are. I certainly think that's one of the benefits of our podcast is somebody like Uncle Dave, who, you know, he's a true and through Patriots fan, you know, he's going to give it to you straight. And that's one of the things that, you know, sports bettors do is, you know, more often than not, we're not going to have a bias. I mean, I'm a Packers fan and, and I give it to you guys, you know, straight, you know, Hitman's going to give it to you straight when he's with the Vikings. I think that's the benefit of having, you know, as many voices as we possibly can is, you know, you guys are going to get an honest opinion without any bias because, you know, we do have to go ahead and lay our money down. When it comes to the Patriots, I actually talked to the doc about Cam Newton. Now, Ed, he's had multiple injuries throughout the years, and and it's I don't think it's really by any surprise. I mean, he is a running quarterback, but he had a rotator cuff surgery, and then this injury is one that I, it's popping up. We're going to be talking about this one, and it's the Liz Frank fracture. That one seems like the one that may give Cam a whole lot of issues, at least if you just go back and you look at some of the players over the last couple of years that had that same exact injury that, you know, they might've never been right. But can you talk to, you know, what you've seen with Cam, maybe maybe touch on the rotator cuff surgery that, that he's been away from for, you know, quite some time now, but more importantly, I think that Liz Frank fracture, that Liz Frank fracture is the one that, that I kind of want to know about because we're going to have to hear about this injury, you know, throughout all these division pods, because there's just so many guys that have this same injury. Can you touch on, on Cam, what you think about him for this season and that specific injury as, as well? I think that Cam has a good chance of doing just fine this year. Um, you, There is that that study that came out that essentially showed by, by Singh and colleagues that showed NFL players who have a list Frank injury come out and have less production if you, um, um, compared to the season before. That's about a 21% production drop, but that's for skill players, and they did uh, receiving yards, touchdowns, and uh, receptions. So it, it's sort of apples to oranges when you try to compare. So the bottom line is that he'll probably be playing through some pain. But like you said, the shoulders healed up. That's That hasn't been an issue in a while. The foot should be okay. And now, for the first time in his career, Cam Newton has a coach who makes who is better at coaching than Cam Newton is at playing, if that makes sense. And so I think he's going to be put in a lot of good positions to where even if he is playing through some pain, uh, he's going to be able to work around it. So typically with that Liz Frank fracture, how long does that typically take to go ahead 
and heal to where, you know, you feel that a player is going to be, you know, I guess you could say 100% out on the football field? Yeah, that's a good question. So typically you see you see it about it takes about 10 months is the average, but the standard deviation, which for those of you who, who might not know, the standard deviation just means it's the average of the average. So on average, it takes 10 months. And then the average of the 10 months is that it could take three more months or three fewer months. So essentially, you're looking at a timeline anywhere between seven and 13 months. And so, you know, we're sitting at about nine months here rolling into September for Cam Newton. He's getting close to that average, but he's also within the standard deviation period. And it seems like everything's good. All systems go, um, especially now that Stidham, you know, is having his own injury issues. I think that it's uh, it's all systems go for Cam. All right, guys. So that's going to go ahead and wrap up the Patriots there. Good stuff there from the doc and Uncle Dave. I want to jump over to Dan Rivera. He's going to go ahead. He's going to talk about the Miami Dolphins. A lot of moving pieces with this Dolphins, but there is quite a bit of optimism surrounding this Miami Dolphins football team. Dan, you got the Dolphins. Their total right now for the season, right around six, six and a half, depending on what books you shop at. You did quite a bit of work here on the Fins. Why don't you go ahead and talk about them? So we know the Dolphins last year were in total rebuild mode and actively trying to get Tua. Last year, Brian Flores took over this team. He had a pretty motivated team by end of the year, despite a atrocious roster. We know the history of Belichick's disciples hasn't been good, but to me, after his rookie year, I think Brian Flores is going to be a good coach. In the offseason, Dolphins added a lot of talent, added Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, you have Tua, you have Austin Jackson, you have the cornerback out of Auburn, whose name I can't pronounce, Robert Hunt and Roquan Davis. You got a lot of guys with a lot of talent in the system, but this is one of the teams who really needed a preseason. All those rookies need some time to play. You got a lot of guys on the offensive line. And unfortunately, last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick just took a beating. So these rookies not being able to play, I think, is going to hurt them. They played the seventh most difficult schedule last year. Now they play the 12th. They do have a first six weeks of schedule with teams like the Patriots, the Bills, the Niners, Broncos, and Seahawks. My guess is Fitzpatrick will be playing those games. I don't expect Tua to be playing until maybe the bye week. Their one easy game in the first six weeks is the Jacksonville Jaguars. From the sounds of it, it sounds like our doctor is pretty confident in Tua being okay with the SIP. Later in the year, week nine onward, they play the teams like Cardinals, Jets twice, Bengals, Patriots at home, where they've given Dave's Patriots fits over the years, is at home and the Raiders. Two tougher games they play is the Chiefs. That's at home, so probably lose. They will play Bills end of the year, but the Bills might be sitting starters at that point. At a season win total of six, I do have a strong lean on the over. But the one thing that really keeps me away from the over is just because that first six weeks is going to be brutal for them. So to me, if you're going to be betting the Patriots this year, I would probably stay away from the season win total. And I would look to play them week to week, especially if they start out really slow. I think overall, one of the things that the handicappers are having trouble with this year in the NFL is figuring out what this Miami Dolphins team is going to look like. I'm going to ask the hitman here, over or under, what do you think here, hitman, for, for Miami? If I get six and a half, which... I have thought about betting, and I'm pretty close to pulling the trigger on it. I'm looking under on the Dolphins. It just comes down to the fact that you're very likely going to be starting a rookie quarterback, 
probably by October. Ryan Fitzpatrick's never put uh, back-to-back good seasons together. And you have one of the weakest offensive lines, one of the weakest defensive lines. They had uh, their third and fourth receiver opted out. They're questionable at running back, questionable at a few other positions. They they just don't have the roster. And I understand that they overachieved last year, but it's a new year. And I still believe that they're one year away. So I would be looking under on Miami. I would tend to agree with you, Hitman. One of the things I think that really fogs up everybody's glasses is, you know, you bring in a high draft pick quarterback who's supposedly going to go ahead and change your future. And, you know, the future isn't, you know, necessarily four, five, six months you know, down the road. Sometimes, you know, it's it's two, three years down the road. So I kind of agree with you in a sense that the under might be the way to go. Uncle Dave, obviously, you know this team inside and out as well because they play within that division and you're in Florida. So I'm just curious how you feel about Miami going into the season. Maybe we can go ahead and clear up, you know, some of the fog for some of the betters if they don't really necessarily know which direction to go with Miami this season. Well, I agree with Hitman. At six and a half, I don't see them winning seven games. They could get to six, um, provided they stay healthy. You know, like Hitman said, they don't they don't have the talent, but I think one thing they have above everybody else is Brian Flores. I, I really like him as a coach. And I think, you know, look at the end of last year when they when they when they played really well down the stretch and they, they played their ass off for him. And to me that means something. So You know, if I can't get a six and a half, I'm not touching the win total. But I think there's going to be some real value both on and against them because I do think they're going to have flashes of brilliance at times, but I don't think they can sustain it. So I'm I'm thinking that for my money, the Dolphins are a game, a game time decision, a a game by game bet because, you know, they they are going to cover and or win some games that most people probably think they wouldn't. So I'm looking at them game to game. I. Uh, but I don't see him getting to seven wins. You know, at six, it might be still worth a marble. At worst, you're going to do is push. But at six and a half, I would be tempted to up the ante on that one. And I'd agree with you, Uncle Dave. I think you do have to take them on a game-to-game basis. But as you mentioned, you know, they're playing their rear ends off. And eventually, you know, that catches up to, you know, the betting line. And and sometimes, you know, if, if a team's playing much better or if they are actually much better than some people think, you know, you can't go ahead and cash multiple tickets in a row. Dolphins will certainly be interesting this year. So solid stuff there from Dan Rivera on the Miami Dolphins. But before we go to the next team, I actually want to go ahead and I want to talk to Edwin about Tua and the questions that are circling around his injury. Now, this injury has been, you know, it's been blown up in the media, obviously. Everybody, I mean, how could it not be? Number two draft pick coming into this league. Now, it's been widely talked about that Tua has an injury very similar to Bo Jackson. Now, if you go back and you look, you know, I mean, Jackson's injury has happened, you know, it's 1991 when that happened. But, you know, Jackson said that he actually popped his hip back in when he was on the sideline. And that had actually damaged some blood vessels that were supplying blood to that specific area. And that, you know, he was actually diagnosed with, you know, a fracture in his hip. Now, Jackson was actually diagnosed with avascular necrosis of the hip joint. And they found that, you know, that there was just a a whole lot of cartilage damage that was in there. He actually had no cartilage at at one point. But uh, it turned out in 1992 that Jackson had to end up having his hip replaced. So I look at at the Jackson injury and then I look at people saying that it was the same injury for Tua. And it just doesn't make any sense. Tua was on the football field playing. He's out there running. And Jackson was immediately taken out of sports and he had to end up having his hip replaced. So it clearly can't be the same injury. So, Edwin, I want to ask you. Can you give us just 
a brief overview of what's going on with Tua, where you think he'll be, and uh, you know how how do you how actually do you think he'll look? So that I can't tell you how I think he'll look. I I can tell you that I've seen videos of him doing certain things and it looks good, right? Um, but starting with what happened to him, so Tua had a dislocated um, hip, and basically, if you think of of the hip joint, uh, think of a baseball sitting in a glass, like a water glass, right? That baseball is the head of the femur, and that's the head of the the part of the leg um, that extends down and becomes your your femur, your upper leg. Um, it ends in that baseball, and you also have the 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 part where it connects, right? Where the joint articulates, um, which is called the acetabulum. And that's the glass. That's the the water glass that sits on top of the baseball. When what happened was imagine that that baseball rolls partially off of the glass. What happened is part of the glass shattered and that hip got dislocated. The the baseball was sitting on the lip of the glass and that fractured the, the bone of the acetabulum. Um, it's called the posterior wall. So sort of close to his, to, to his butt bone. It came out that way. What happens is that compromises all the structures around it, including the blood vessels. If you disrupt those blood vessels for a long enough time, then you can get what's called a vascular necrosis that you mentioned. And what that does is essentially cuts off all blood supply to the joint. And that's obviously not a good thing, right? So essentially what happens is the the joint starts to, to lack of a better phrase, eventually starts to, to dry out because it doesn't get blood. It's not getting oxygen. And that's when you run into issues. That's when you run into uh, long-term issues. And the reason that Tua didn't run into those issues is because the medical staff did a great job of putting that hip back in place. So he didn't have any, any vessel damage. And then they had surgery pretty, pretty quickly afterwards, and he's been healing ever since. So that's what happened to him. And that's why he didn't have as, as bad of a, uh, of a situation as Bo Jackson did. Bo Jackson's, as you said, didn't, they didn't get it back, but back in until he got to the sideline. So that was longer. Um, every second counts. And that was just longer that the hip was out for him. And that, that, that makes a big difference. So how he'll look this year, I'm not entirely sure. The more that I watch him and the more that I think about it, I, there's not a lot of data on it. There's just not. So I would prefer for the long term that Tua waited at least until a year to try to play again. But that that might not be the case, right? It just depends how comfortable the Dolphins feel with Tua coming in and how Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing under center and whether they will be competitive in that division. I kind of understand the Dolphins' position, but I also understand their position in different senses. Like, yes, they want to get this guy out there. And one of my big concerns, at least for Tua, is the fact that there won't be fans in the stands this year. And they'll be on Twitter and they'll be screaming and yelling the minute Fitzpatrick goes out there and throws a bunch of interceptions. And I think Miami's going to feel, in a sense, forced to go ahead and put him out. But then I also have to go ahead and, and look at it from, from what you just said, your perspective, that you would rather see him out for you know a year. And I understand that that Miami could easily do that. They could easily think like that because he's probably going to end up being their, their franchise quarterback. Now, obviously, you don't want to have a guy sitting out you know, for an entire year. So if you had to go ahead and take a guess, he's probably not going to start. Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with that just in general. He's probably not going to start, but I could see him on the back end of this, on the back half, half of the season, them, them letting him go. And it's not so much that I'm saying he's not ready. It's just, you really want to give a weight. It's called a, a weight bearing joint 
time to as much time as possible to build bone density back to allow that bone to strengthen again, because when that bone um, gets fractured, it can take up to, you know, a year or 16 months for it to fully regain its its tensile structure and its ability to, to manage and, and load through that joint as much as much as possible without re-injuring it. It doesn't mean that he has to, but it's definitely a conservative way of looking at it. And obviously, professional athletes a lot a lot of times don't care to look at things conservatively. One of the early season wagers that I made was that I thought Tua would win Offensive Rookie of the Year because I didn't actually think about it a whole lot. I'm like, he's probably going to be in there within like the second game, and that's kind of the way that I thought about it. But after talking to you for a little while here, you know, I'm thinking of it as a business, and I'm thinking of it as in long term, and we've seen. You know, like I'll just, you know, let's use a Philadelphia 76ers with it, with Joel Embiid. I mean, he probably could have played way before he actually made it out onto the court, but they decided to go ahead and hold him out for a very long period of time. And now you see that he's more than likely, you know, a franchise player for this team, maybe for, you know, the next 10 years to come. And you could see the impact that he has. So I, I would kind of probably go back on what I said where, I think Tua might start early and that he might be, you know, an offensive player of the year. I, I think they might handle him with, with a little bit more caution, you know, after speaking to you for a little bit here. Now, Hitman, you got the Jets. Their totals are going to be pretty much the same here as Miami, right around six, six and a half. I know you're not going to go ahead and back the Jets over. I know how much you like this team under. I think a lot of people, if you guys have been following the Hitman, which you guys can do, at pregame hitman or at pregame.com you probably have seen him go ahead post some of his stuff that is not in favor of the jets but i want you guys to go ahead and hear it if you haven't heard it yet hitman you got the jets what are you thinking yeah so you know what i think this is a team that's in legitimate contention for having the worst record in the league and of course i i believe jacksonville should be the favorite but i think that the jets should maybe be the third fourth fifth favorite to potentially have the worst record in the league and it just comes down to the fact that, you know what, I'm, I'm a little higher on Darnold than the market is, but he just doesn't have anything around him. I mean, you have one of the worst head coaches slash play callers in the league in Adam Gase. You have the third toughest schedule in the entire NFL. You're questionable at running back, very questionable at receiver. Rashad Perriman's hurt right now. Denzel Mims is hurt. Chris Herndon at tight end. He's a good prospect, but he's been injured his whole career. Their offensive line, they got better from last year, but five new starters in a pandemic year, not much time to get continuity. They arguably have the worst edge rushers and worst corners in the entire league. Now safety and middle linebacker, which was a strength. They lost C.J. Mosley, lost Jamal Adams. That's now a question mark. They just don't have the roster, and they don't have the coaching to make up for it, and they got one of the toughest schedules in the league. So – I don't see anything that I could really say in their favor right now other than Darnold just steps up, has a great season, and makes up for all the, the lack of supporting cast around them. But I don't think he's good enough to make up for all the dysfunction around him. So I gave out Jets under seven as a big bet. And even under six and a half, I still really like the Jets under. Great stuff there from the Hitman. Hitman, I got to bring up one player. Actually, myself and Chris Dell had talked about the tight end in the Jets offense, and that's Chris Herndon. You know, he has, you know, top five potential being a tight end. You know, there's just not a whole lot of, you know, anything really rosy going on with that offense. I think he might be the the bright spot. 
And as you had talked through your entire Jets handicap, it noticed that the only positive, real positive that you had mentioned with that Jets team was Herndon. So uh, I feel pretty good about that, that if there is one thing that maybe we could take away positive from that Jets offense, maybe it is Herndon. Maybe we can actually use him in some of our fantasy stuff. And you guys are going to be able to hear plenty from Chris Dell throughout the entire season. Now, I got the Buffalo Bills. I actually went through and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to a lot of audio and reading a lot. And I see, you know, a lot of people are on both sides of the fence. One of the reason being is that, you know, a lot of close wins last year. Now their season win total is going to be eight and a half. There's a lot of juice here on the over. They're 25 to one right now to go ahead and win it all. There's 10 teams in front of them. I'm going to give you guys a bet right off the bat. Division winner plus 120 for the Bills. I would go ahead and make that bet. If you guys think they can make the playoffs, you can go ahead and bet that at minus 180. I would make that bet as well. When I look at this Buffalo Bills team overall, I'll tell you right now that this defense is going to be nasty. If you thought they were good last year, they're going to be even better this year. Their defensive line will probably rank within the top three. Their depth right there at that particular spot is extremely deep. I think they're going to be very, very good. Bring in a quarterback, Josh Norman, who I'm not particularly high on, but I think he does add some value. They also add linebacker A.J. Klein. He's very good defending the run and the pass. I think this Bills defense is going to be, you know, rather scary. And when you flip it over and you look at the offensive side of the ball, Frank Gore, he's going to be gone. Very good career, awesome football player, but it's going to be pretty much led by Devin Singletary. And Singletary last year ran for 775 yards. He had 5.1 yards per carry. That's very good. So they're going to bring in Zach Moss. Now he's going to be probably, I'm going to say, 60-40. So it's going to be Singletary, and it's going to be Singletary 60%, Moss 40%. Moss comes from Utah. He's a very good running back. He was, I think, eighth in college football in yards after contact. Not an easy guy to go ahead and get down. But all reports coming out of training camp, Moss is, is impressing people. He's turning a lot of heads. He's going to end up making this roster, and he's actually going to end up getting the football this season. So I like the fact that the Bills can throw a little bit of deception at you. They're going to be able to throw the ball this season, I think, to some of the guys in the backfield. And they also bring in Stephon Diggs, who I get it. You know, it's uh, you never know what you're going to get with that guy. But I think one of the big benefits for a guy like Josh Allen is the fact that, you know, he has a very strong arm. And when you have guys like John Brown and Diggs, I, I, that's just going to open up the middle of the field. And one of the guys that you know, that, that, that the Bills will probably end up using in the middle of the field. It's probably going to be somebody like a Cole Beasley. But they also brought in another wide receiver in Gabriel Davis, who has been getting rave reviews as well, just like Moss. He's going to make the starting squad for the wide receiver position. So overall, I think the offense and defense, they've, they, they've, more, they've added more and they've cut a lot of fat. And I think that's really going to help them out. I don't see any of the losses on the defensive side of the ball. I think Shaq Loss and Jordan Phillips, those guys are both gone. I don't think that's going to hurt them. And as I mentioned, like Frank Gore will be gone from the offense. Now, when I looked at the schedule overall for the Bills, a lot of people were thinking it's probably, you know, mid-grade type of difficulty. I'll tell you right now, it's not. The toughest stretch this team's going to have is in week four and five. They play back-to-back road games uh, at the Raiders and then like at Tennessee. And it's going to be followed by a short week when they play Kansas City. But if you go through the schedule and look at it, this team could win 13 or 12 games. And I think a lot of those wins are going to be anchored by their defense. Their defense last year, their pass defense in general, 
was number four. Very good. I think, you know, Tredavious White is probably the best or one of the best guys in the defensive backfield in the entire league. Number 10 in rush defense, and also all reports are saying that that rush defense is going to be any better, is going to be much better. I think one of the things we have to look at with the Bills' close wins last year is the fact that, you know, they were only like plus four in turnovers. And I think that, you know, with the way that this defense is set up right now, that the turnovers are going to help, you know, kind of get rid of that margin with the close games. And granted, they didn't have all the playmakers that they're going to have this year. So I think, you know, getting some margin on some teams and a lot of people are banking on the Bills, you know, like with and we've gone over this many a times before where, you know, teams who win close games, sometimes they come down to earth. Well, I understand that. And and that could be true in a sense. But, you know, good teams win close games. And when you don't have a, a massive turnover advantage in your favor, then I then that really just tells me that, that you're that good of a team um, that you're pulling out these close wins. So for me, uh, I'm going to have to go ahead. And I'm going to have to play the Bills over. I think their coaching staff is solid. McDermott was pretty good. You know, Frazier's been there a number of years. I just, I don't, I don't really see how the Bills don't win, you know, 10 games at a minimum. And I think this team has the potential to win, you know, 13 or 12 games this season. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play that team over their season win total. I think the Bills make a lot of noise, but in the end, I think they're probably a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver short of making some real noise when they do eventually get into the playoffs. I just think they're going to be, you know, a little bit short there. So that's really all I have on the Buffalo Bills. And that's it for our AFC East podcast. Big thanks to the Hitman, Uncle Dave, and Dan Rivera. You guys know where to find us on Twitter. You guys can also get us at pregame.com. If you're listening to this podcast, get ready for the next one. We're going to go ahead. We're going to preview the NFC East next. Stick around.